The content presented in this episode is not financial advice and should not be viewed as a recommendation to support any specific project. The views expressed are personal opinions only. Welcome to Relay Chain, a podcast produced by Parity Technologies, where we discuss all things Substrate, Polkadot, and Web3. Welcome, welcome everybody to another episode of Relay Chain. Uh, for those of you guys have, that have been following along, you know, it's it's very exciting times right now. Kusama is onboarding new parachains and, and new parachains are starting to onboard onto Polkadot. And like, you know, it's the path, the vision that we've been all, all building towards is starting to come to fruition and so I'm excited to have one of those teams on today. Uh, we have Cassidy from the Centrifuge team here to talk about Centrifuge and Altair, which is their Canary Network. Uh, welcome, Cassidy. How are you doing? Hey, Jordan. I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. I'm particularly excited to talk about this project. There's been a whole lot of talk recently in this space about metaverse projects, right? Like where you're, we're, we're building this new world in the digital space, but I'm super interested to see how we can take like real world assets, real world things and bring them and have analogs into the digital space. And from what I understand, that's, that's a huge part of what Centrifuge does. So how about you, you in your own words, give us a high level overview of what is Centrifuge Altair? Yeah. So we like to describe Centrifuge as real-world DeFi. So what that means is, as you said, taking assets from the real world and allowing users to tokenize those assets. So creating that on-chain representation, and that allows them to then finance those assets on-chain. So really plugging into the liquidity that we're finding in DeFi in places like uh, Maker and really soon Aave, on Ethereum, and hopefully really soon in the Polkadot and Kusama ecosystems as well. Awesome. So let's start there. So Centrifuge is currently a standalone blockchain, right? But there's you also have a dApp that lives on Ethereum, and you also aim to migrate into the Polkadot space. So let's talk about like those three kind of different parts and how they will kind of come together to, to work as an ecosystem. So it, what is the Centrifuge uh, standalone chain right now? Actually, you know, way, way back when we started building this dApp on Ethereum and the dApp right now is called Tinlake. And we really quickly realized that that wasn't going to scale very well. And so we started looking at alternatives on where we could start building that would really scale together with you know, the, the product that we were building. And at the time, this is the end of 2019, Substrate had just started really getting steam from Parity. And um, there were a couple other options, but honestly, the level of support that the Parity team was giving to people building on Substrate and just how much documentation and um, work had been done around being able to use Substrate made it a really clear choice for us to start building Centrifuge Chain. And so we launched Centrifuge Chain in May of 2020. And that's when we um, really started 
building out this DAP that we have on Ethereum as well. And so we've got centrifuge chain built to a substrate with its own bridge connected to our Tin Lake DAP on Ethereum. And so at the moment, the way that it works is that any business could have a documentation, a representation of this real world asset that lives on centrifuge chain. And if they want to then get financing for that asset, they mint an NFT and they use the bridge to Ethereum to then uh, pool that NFT into one of the Tin Lake pools and access financing through DeFi, either directly through people providing liquidity into those pools or you know, with these integrations into Maker um, or really soon Aave to pull in that DAI liquidity and finance those assets on Ethereum. So there's a lot of different moving parts there. I know it's pretty complicated, but we're really excited to then, you know, move all of those pieces together onto the centrifuge parachain on Polkadot. So that's the the near term goal is to one, you know, make centrifuge not just the standalone chain, but really connect it to the whole Polkadot ecosystem by being a parachain. And to bring that tin lake dap over onto centrifuge chain natively. And that's going to help with a whole host of issues that we've got on Ethereum, namely just how expensive it is to run that. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that you have a dap on, on Ethereum. So are you minting the NFT on centrifuge and then bridging it to Ethereum? Is that how it works? Kind of. So it's actually a tiny bit more complicated than that. We're actually creating proofs on centrifuge chain. And those proofs allow you to directly mint the NFT on Ethereum. And the reason is that there's already what we call an anchor that lives on centrifuge chain. So it would be a little redundant to mint the NFT on both chains simultaneously. So what we do is we create the proof on centrifuge chain. um, And that together with the anchor allows the user to then mint the NFT directly on Ethereum and pool that into a Tin Lake pool and access financing. Okay. That makes sense. With these proofs, are you using ZK technology? Is that is that what's going on there? Or is privacy coming later on? Because I know I, I remember reading something about that in your in your roadmap. Um, is that happening right now? Um, I mean, so there there is an element of privacy specifically that you know most of the information is not on chain. Um, it's actually just in an off-chain document that's held in you know, the, the peer-to-peer layer of centrifuge. And what you're proving is, is that this information hasn't changed from the agreed upon, you know, state of that document. So we're retaining some level of user privacy, but we'd love to see more use cases in the future where we can basically, you know, make as much private as is possible um, using, you know, ZK technology. So I, I would say there's still a ways that we can go to protecting user privacy, um, but we definitely have some roundabout ways of of getting there for now. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. So can you walk us through what it looks like for an organization to create a, a real world asset on Centrifuge and then use it on Ethereum? How does that work? Um, so... Let's take a type of asset. Maybe it's an invoice. So we're, we're talking about like a, a really end user there. That user isn't going to use Centrifuge directly themselves. 
they're going to use what we call, you know, in some, in some places in our documentation, you'll see we call them asset originators or pool issuers. So this is, this is a business and that business is, is the one that's using centrifuge. And so an end user that's, you know, let's say they're a seller on Amazon and they have an invoice that they want to finance. They'd go to, you know, for example, one of our pool issuers, um, like database finance, and they'd use their platform in order to access financing. And they might not even see all of the crypto on the back end. They're really just interested in getting financing for that invoice. But then what this asset originator will do is they will take that invoice and they will anchor a state of that document on chain. And they'll be able to mint an NFT using that anchor and a proof directly on Ethereum. They put that NFT into this pool. So right now, I think we've got about uh, 10 different pools that are live on Tinlake, and they're all different types of assets. And depending on each, um, each pool and how it's set up, there's a really specific risk class type of asset and interest rate that... Um, that can be charged on you know, each, each asset and, and also on the flip side could be made by any different uh, user providing liquidity to that pool. So once that NFT is locked in, then the asset originator is able to actually draw down liquidity that's in that pool. And one of the cool things that these Tin Lake pools allow is um, a really you know, free flow of capital, meaning that, you know, Assets can come in and get financed and liquidity can flow in and flow out on a daily basis. So we have this epoch where um, at the end of each day, if there are redemption requests from investors, you know, that can get settled at the end of the day. And so people providing liquidity to these pools have a lot of flexibility. And it's not just like, uh, you know, putting your money into a mutual fund or a hedge fund or something like this. It, it's really like you as an individual could go to this, provide liquidity, but also have a lot of flexibility to take it out the next day. I'd almost compare it like similar to an ETF maybe. And I think um, one of the things that's exciting about the Ave market that's going to be launching soon is having something even more similar to that, where you've got like a, a basket of different types of assets even and you can provide liquidity on a really flexible basis. And I think that's something that we're really excited to provide to like everyday individuals as an investment class that people don't really get access to right now. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. So it's taking like a, a kind of a really legacy and in comparison to blockchain, a kind of an archaic kind of economy or product and bringing it into the future, into the Web3 space and really democratizing and allowing more individuals to get involved into this kind of space. Whereas traditionally it's, you know, the big banks and, and, you know, larger players that get to participate in this area. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Cause I think right now, I mean, if someone wanted to get access to, you know, like financing someone else's invoice, like how would, how would you even think about doing that? You can't really, right? And I think that's something that's really cool and exciting is not only could you finance someone else's invoice or mortgage or, um, you know, the inventory for their business, it, it creates kind of this 
uh, more connected economy. And what I mean is is really that it's taking out the the middlemen of the bank in that equation. Awesome. The the core uh, value of disintermediation, taking that middle middle person out of the program. Very cool. Um, so you've mentioned a couple of times integrations with Maker and soon Ave, and I'm interested to talk a little bit about that. So as I understand it right now, users can take assets tokenized using Centrifuge and use it as collateral to mint DAI. And soon you'll have an integration with Ave. So do you want to talk a bit about those pieces? Yeah. So the way that it works with Maker is not on the individual asset level. Um, it's a little bit broader than that, meaning that each pool goes through the governance process, the maker governance process, and they have a really clear outline of exactly what they're proposing to maker governance to be able to get a really specific asset type accepted as a collateral type in maker. Um, so to give you an example, we have one pool called um, run by an asset originator called New Silver. And New Silver made a governance proposal to the maker community, to MKR holders, um, that they have a really specific asset type. They have real estate in the East Coast of the US, and they pool this real estate together um, in a pool on Tin Lake. And they were proposing to MKR holders uh, to have that as an asset type in maker and be able to lock that into Maker Vault and Mint die uh, to finance those assets. And that got approval with um, basically like a credit line of up to 20 million die. So what that means, which is actually really cool, is that the new silver pool on Tinlake um, say that there's maybe 5 million worth of die that you know retail investors have locked into that pool. If new silver wanted to finance you know 5 million more on top of that, they could just directly draw that down from Maker and finance those assets, as well as have a lot of flexibility to pay back those assets without creating any sort of cash drag for the investors that are already locked, have locked eye into that pool. Because otherwise what you could see is that, you know, say for example, it was 10 million that only retail investors had provided and New Silver paid back 5 million of that, there would just be 5 million in cash sitting in that pool for as long as it took to finance another asset. And so that's creating, you know, a, a lower return for any of those investors. Whereas having this credit line essentially for a maker makes that whole system a lot more efficient. And so that's why I find that maker integration really exciting. For Ave, I think it's maybe a little bit slightly different of a um, of an interesting case there. And which I alluded to earlier, which is really creating like a pool of pools with Ave. And so we've got actually in that situation, several different Tin Lake pools that are going into one real world asset market in Ave. And so then if you're providing liquidity to the real world asset market in Ave, you're actually getting a really diverse portfolio of different types of real world assets and getting I would say, uh, in that sense, a more stable exposure to different types of asset and different types of risk. And so I think both of those uh, cases are really interesting things that are built on top of Centrifuge that make the whole system, I think, more stable and more efficient overall. Very cool. 
I'm very interested in like when we start to take these real world assets and and put them on chain, what kind of framework do we have to establish some sort of trust? Like when I think of like the far future, I, I imagine like, you know, everybody's house, everybody's car, all, all kinds of physical assets being tokenized and put on chain. But how do we guarantee some sort of like the, the custody of that or the actual ownership of that uh, physical asset? What kind of thoughts do you have around that? Or what kind of implementations in the protocol are are put in place for that? I guess in a sense, you're you're kind of talking about things like oracles or like attestations of assets. Well, I mean, like if I tokenize my car and put it on chain to to use as collateral for something, and, and I know that's not currently the case, but like I, I guess in the in the case of New Silver, you said they have a portfolio of of homes. How do we guarantee that though they're not going to sell those homes that they're using as the collateral? An equivalent almost of like the double spend kind of thing. They use them as collateral. They drew some um some liquidity from that and then they sold the properties and now they have both those bits of money. Yeah, definitely. So there's there's the way that we address it now and then there's the way that we hope to address it in the, in the future. So for the time being um, we've got in the background this legacy legal system supporting us here. And so each pool issuer, when they set up a pool on Tin Lake, they're also creating a legal structure, really like bare bones, simple framework, but still a safety net, if you will, of a legal structure behind each of these pools. And as an investor in any of these pools, you're actually signing an agreement with the pool issuer which um, beholdens the pool issuer to any sort of risk of the assets not being repaid or any sort of risk of the assets, you know, in that case, in that extreme case, not existing or, or having some sort of double spend. It's actually putting the liability on the pool issuer to ensure that any die that's locked into this pool is actually paid back to someone that's providing liquidity. And so right now there is this, you know, really um, old school, I would say, legal framework behind everything that's um, that's currently on Tin Lake. But I think some of the exciting directions that we want to go here, I would say, one, are more integrations with projects, for example, like Kilt. Basically, what they could do is provide these on-chain attestations, provide different connections to oracles, um, where you could actually validate the authenticity of an asset, um, that it is in fact owned by such and such of a user, um, and they have the right to actually, you know, sell this asset or get financing for this asset. Those are a lot of, I think, really interesting things that we could do with those sort of integrations. And I think what Kilt is doing there will, would be really interesting for us to work with going forward. And we chatted with them a little bit of, of what that could start to look like. And I think on the other side of that, in terms of the risk inherent in the system as well, we're working on an underwriter token model as well um, to fit into this whole system where you wouldn't even just rely on third-party oracles, but also have another third party, such as an underwriter, come in and assess not only you know that the asset is existing, that it is owned by this party, and it is, you know, valued at X, but also that the risk is assessed and that the, there 
is not just one underwriter doing this, but actually a group of underwriters that have better aligned incentives to make sure that these assets are actually priced correctly according to their risk. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm, I'm glad you um, you mentioned Kilt and, and I went that direction because that was the other direction I wanted to talk about is KYC and AML. So I understand that in order to have access to the Aave pools, you will need to go through full KYC. Can you give us an idea of what that is going to look like? And then I guess in the near future, as, as we move further down your roadmap, what it will look like as you start to integrate uh, Kilt and um, I, I saw mention of social KYC as well, what that kind of looks like. Yeah, so so right now it is again like super old school framework of submitting that traditional KYC documentation. Right now we work with another company called Securitize that does that KYC check basically for any user that wants to participate in the system. They're essentially whitelisted on chain. Their address is whitelisted to be able to participate once they go through this KYC process. And what I, what I think would be really exciting going forward is not needing to do that every single time you need to KYC for yet another thing that you're using, you're going through the same process over and over again. That's where Kilt comes in and I think makes that much easier for the end user that essentially you go through KYC once, meaning you just submit you know, the documentation that might be relevant for, for something like this. And you get this Kilt verified ID that you can take with you and use in any sort of different system. And that's a kind of integration that, that we're excited about as well, that maybe you have a Kilt ID and that could be enough to, to provide the KYC to anyone that would need it and be able to whitelist your address to use across all of DeFi in any of these different systems. So yeah, that's another really cool use case, I think, that we're excited about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm super interested to see, um, you know, uh, we, we kind of mentioned that all these pair chains are starting to onboard to Kusama and Polkadot and, and that really starts to open up the possibilities for, you know, the interoperability. So I'm excited to see how, how all of that kind of plays out and, and Kilt and, and Centrifuge working together is an, a, a huge part of that, I think. Okay, I want to kind of shift gears a little bit. We've talked about real-world assets being minted on Centrifuge. Is there any other kind of use cases that you you see uh, Centrifuge being used for and maybe in the longer term? Or is that your, your core focus and you'll stay there for quite a while? I mean, the core vision is to enable you know people, businesses, to have better access to financing. And I think... Literally financing those assets um, using DeFi is definitely a core part of it. But there are a couple of things, you know, slightly outside of that, that I think could also be really interesting in the future. I think specifically making that whole process more efficient. And in that, there are different functionalities that we could add, like like the underwriters that I mentioned um, previously, but also for the investor side, having something like a money market that's native to Centrifuge, where you could just really easily get, you know, in and out of the system. And as well, something that's, you know, always on top of mind for people that are thinking about risk, things like insurance, and potentially having like an insurance DAO on Centrifuge chain as well, where the investors in these different pools could actually hedge the risk 
in, in some sense. And I think those are some things that are maybe a little bit more in the medium term. And then long term, part of the original vision was, you know, what could we do when we actually have all this data um, in one place that isn't, you know, it's not going to be data that Centrifuge has. Like there's no entity that has this data, but now you have all this data on chain that users could actually then use if we created a such a system to be able to, for example, get much cheaper access to financing. So one of the main frictions that businesses feel today is that when they go to a bank, it's really hard one, to like get all of your documentation together to really prove that you've been doing business for, you know, five or 10 years or 15 years even. And two, like, you know, get someone at a bank to to find it worth their while to actually verify all of that data. I would say in, in some senses, you know, I personally see banks as the bad guy sometimes, but they're actually not always the bad guy. In In this case, like, Sometimes it's really just way too expensive for them to do all of this verification work. And maybe they even want to give you a loan, but it really doesn't make sense for their bottom line. And, you know, otherwise they would fail as a business. And I think with the system that we're creating, we're really hoping to make something that creates enough efficiency that we can start getting to like the real cost of of what this financing should be. You know, if if there are... Google's out there getting financing at half a percent, then that means that your you know local coffee shop shouldn't have to pay ten percent for a loan. I think there's just such a discrepancy there because of you know the nature of the data and how much work it takes to finance the local coffee shop compared to financing Google. And so we're trying to really bridge that gap as much as we can. And I think that's definitely the long term vision. That's amazing. I'm glad you you went to those lengths there. It really gives me a, a longer term vision of of what you're building with Centrifuge. So thank you for that. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about Altair now and how that fits into the kind of model here. So several projects in this space have kind of adopted the same similar model to Polkadot and Kusama, where Kusama is the canary network of the main network Polkadot. And so you guys have Altair as your your canary network and that is um recently onboarded onto kusama so congratulations for that um and so before that centrifuge was just a, a standalone chain and so i'm curious like how was the testing and iteration process of of making upgrades and developing centrifuge um before and how is it going to be changing now that you have Altair as the Canary Network. And why did you choose to adopt that model as well? So we have two test nets for Centrifuge. We have like a, a really rough and ready breakable test net that we call Flint. Um, and then we have a test net with you know, more guaranteed liveness, so to say, um, with Amber. And with those two test nets, that was enough to get Centrifuge Chain up and running. Um, but I would say where these canary networks become super interesting is specifically when you have a lot of value at stake. So right now we've got almost 50 million in TVL in our Tin Lake app. 
um, and that lives on Ethereum. But once we move that over to centrifuge chain, it becomes a much higher risk to not test things as if, you know, in depth as we could. And having a canary network like Altair is actually like, I mean, honestly, a really incredible innovation by the parody team to have something like Kusama um, have this notion of a testnet with real world value, I think becomes really important for us. And I think we've already, all the teams, I think, that have launched uh, pair chains on Kusama have already started to see the value because so much goes wrong that you don't anticipate. And having Altair um, launch as a pair chain before we do the same on Centrifuge Chain has taught us a lot about the entire pair chain process that is going to be really informative for once uh, once Centrifuge actually goes live as a pair chain. So different things like like even how we run the testing process, um, because Altair has its own test nets, um, but there were a few bugs that came up with, you know, setting up those test nets correctly, for example. Um, and then with Altair, I think specifically to Centrifuge, one of the most important use cases is going to be actually doing asset financing and pulling together assets, funding those pools with different types of stable coins on Altair. Um, and really pushing the boundaries there so that if something goes wrong, it's going wrong on Altair and not going wrong on Centrifuge Chain. And, you know, that's not to say that we want something to break on Altair necessarily. It's more that there's less to lose if something goes wrong on Altair. And if we're using experimental assets, we can really, you know, push the limits of what's possible a lot more on Altair than we can on centrifuge chain when there's, you know, as I said, just a lot more at stake. Um, so I think we're actually really happy that this has become a really widely accepted way of approaching testing um, because it's ended up being so incredibly useful for us. That's awesome. So I wonder, like, is the idea that when new projects are coming onto Centrifuge, like the next kind of new silver type of project, they will then launch on Altair first with like a, a maybe a smaller pool of funds? And would the idea then that once that proves working well for them, that they would then open a larger kind of pool on um, Centrifuge if and when Centrifuge like um, launches on Polkadot as well? Um, actually, I, this is a great question. I don't think that all of them, that all of the pool issuers will do this. I definitely think a couple will, because I know a couple are already really excited about Altair and, and really just interested in testing things out there first. Um, so I imagine a couple will launch on Altair first and then move over to Centrifuge Chain. But I think some may wait for other asset types to get tested on Altair first, and then um, just wait for basically being able to understand that it, that it is audited and tested enough that they could go directly to Centrifuge Chain from Ethereum. Um, so I, I definitely see both of those different paths. Either one of these pools could go directly from Ethereum to Centrifuge Chain, or they could go to Altair first and then over to Centrifuge Chain but I think in either case, I still see Altair as a little bit more than just that pit stop. 
I really think it's going to have its own native type of asset pools that we're not going to see on Centrifuge. Things like art NFTs or maybe even things like um, carbon bonds or different types of assets like uh, someone was talking about funding like city trees, for example, and like the green energy um, in a city, like urban planning environment. And I think those kind of things are, are just like so new and and maybe not fully fleshed out even as an idea. And I think those are the kind of things that are cool to really just use Altair as a testbed, not just like as that pit stop for centrifuge chain, but just in general in terms of asset financing and, and what's possible to be done there. Right. Yeah. So that, that was another question that I had is, will Altair like kind of take on a, a life of its own and will it be a testing ground, but also have its own features that may not end up being brought over to centrifuge. Yeah, I I definitely think it will. I think, I mean, ultimately it does come down to the community that we can build with Altair and having enough, you know, teams that are interested in, in building out those new things. But from what I've seen so far, I mean, we've been so impressed with the community support of Altair. So I, I really do think that it's going to get that support that it needs to really bud into its own project and like own vision for what you can do on Altair as compared to just in on centrifuge chain. Right. That makes sense. So yeah, we mentioned that Altair has onboarded onto Kusama and you're now going through the the phases of your your rollout roadmap, um, which is a, a series of several different runtime upgrades. I think you you guys are on phase three now, yeah. which is which is starting um, to inter, introduce governance. So that's that's what you were saying up to kind of the community where where Altair goes and eventually Centrifuge goes. So you've gone through the state migration and um, you distributed the rewards for Crowdloan, and now you're handing the keys to the chain, so to speak, over to the governance model. So can you talk a bit about what that governance model looks like? So it's um, really similar to what people are familiar with, with Kusama and Polkadot. So there's an on-chain council with Altair. Um, We are expecting a council of 10 members. And with those 10 council members, what they'd be able to do is, you know, similar to Kusama or Polkadot, They are responsible for providing on-chain proposals, upgrade proposals, um, and also being a signal to the rest of the airholders on, you know, what's best for Altair. And the council, so far, we've been inviting potential candidates to introduce themselves on our governance forum. And um, I'm really excited that we've gotten actually so much um, interest in that. We've had a lot of the centrifuge ambassadors, um, so like, you know, really active community members propose their candidacy. We've also had at least one person now from Parity, uh, Will, the master of validators, proposed his candidacy and and also a lot of really interesting proposals for Altair in general, which was really great to see. Um, and then we've had a few people also from the centrifuge core team and even one of our uh, asset originators proposed his candidacy as well. So I think, you know, a lot of really diverse interest in being members of the Altair Council. 
I think that will add a lot of strength to the Altair community and having a lot of like really interested parties and active parties from really different areas of the Altair ecosystem come in. For me, that means that, you know, we can have really informed decisions on lots of different types of topics that come up for Altair. Um, and ultimately, that will just lead to a stronger budding ecosystem there. So I think it'll probably take a couple weeks for, you know, the council not only to form, but really to get enough air holders to participate in the governance. So to stake their air and, and make sure that the council that's there is really the, the council that all air holders are really interested in and having on chain. And then the next upgrade from there will be to um, enable balance transfers, which will come, uh, like you said, in, in removing the keys of the system from, from the pseudo key, which right now is in control of the core team and, and really just putting that in the hands of the air holders themselves. Awesome. I love it. The, um, you know, progressive decentralization is real and it's, it's beautiful when it works and uh, I love seeing it in motion. So one, one of the, the later phases of the Altair roadmap that I saw was launching this thing called the NFT studio. Um, can you talk a bit about what that means? Yeah. So that's our, um, you know, first functionality on Altair and it's just like a, a sneak peek, I would say, into the later functionality. So it is, it's simple, but I think enjoyable. It is a way for people to view their portfolio of NFT assets that they have. So either in their own wallet or ultimately what this will be used for is being able to look at all of the different assets that are in a Tin Lake pool. And I think that's exciting because, you know, you know, one thing we were talking about earlier with like attestations of assets, imagine that you could see all of the houses that are in that new silver pool on Tin Lake. Then you'd be able to see like, this is, this is the physical house. This is what it looks like and be able to have a better idea of all of the different assets that are there in the short term, maybe a little bit more personally enjoyable, just like seeing all of the NFTs that you've got in your wallet and having a, a nice way of visualizing that as well. Cool. And would this have any um, application to like an artist per se, like being able to use Centrifuge maybe to finance their art? Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. I think that's part of the motivation of having NFT Studio be the first functionality on Altair is we're, we're definitely going in this direction of, of wanting to finance art NFTs. And I think really that requires that you're able to see them and interact with them and in, an, in a nice way, be able to really like experience the art. And if we have a pool of CryptoPunks, for example, You'd want to see all of those crypto punks in the pool um, if you're going to finance that. So I think NFT Studio is is really a stepping stone in that direction to eventually be able to have artists get financing there. Mm. Yeah, I was thinking about this recently because you know I'm, I'm sure most folks listening know like the the main NFT. Uh, space is is on mainnet ethereum uh, but the flip side to that is that it's very expensive for a new artist to get involved into you know just to mint you know something to their collection can be several hundreds maybe even thousands of dollars um so i was thinking like how do we get folks in like 
you know, the quote unquote developing space or, or lower income areas involved in this ecosystem where the main economic action is happening on a, a cost prohibitive platform. So I'm, I'm just like spitballing here right now is like being able to pre-finance your artwork using something like centrifuge or finding a way to kind of, I guess, crowdfund before uh, minting, like fund the the minting costs of the uh, the collection. I don't know if, if that makes sense in the context of centrifuge. Um, it, it's certainly something that centrifuge could be used for. I'd say maybe not the first use case we're going to see. Um, probably it would come down to like, you know, already having the asset there. But I, I do think that like in general, artists getting access to financing is something that Centrifuge could be used for. And I, I think also like taking the step back, doing that on Kusama or Polkadot is going to make it a lot more attainable for an artist, especially as you said, like in areas where it's, it's much lower values, you know, right now on Ethereum, it doesn't necessarily make sense to, to do this on chain. Unless you're doing like at least $10,000 worth of financing, it doesn't make sense to do anything less than that just because the gas fees are so high. And so for anyone who's, you know, charging interest rate on lending out that 10000 it doesn't make sense to do that on Ethereum. And all of a sudden with something like Kusama or Polkadot, where the transaction fees are like, you know, almost forgettable. It opens up so many new possibilities, um, especially for new and budding artists that that really need access to capital and and like not really large amounts, right? Like they might be looking for five hundred or one thousand, and that all of a sudden becomes a real possibility when you have something like Kusama or Polkadot. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Okay, so we talked about Tinlake being the first app on Ethereum, and that will be ported over to Centrifuge later on. And the first dApp on Altair is going to be the NFT studio. And will there be a, a corollary Tinlake on Altair as well? Will it also be called Tinlake? We're probably going to get rid of this Tinlake name, which yeah might be a little bit confusing at first, but I think we're just going to call them pools on Altair and then pools that are on Centrifuge and they will go live on Altair first. We're, you know, really hard at work right now, the the engineering team at building out what that can look like in, um, in substrate pallets. And that's something that can go live on Altair first. And, and I think that's actually a question internally right now is um, one of the questions that you had, like, do we want to to bring over one of the existing pools from Ethereum onto Altair first? Or do we want to do something completely brand new and exciting on Altair and use that as like, you know, a first proof point of these pools on Altair working correctly? And I'm definitely in favor of doing something new and exciting. <laughs> um, but I can totally understand why an engineer might be a little afraid of that too. It's a little bit extra work. But I think worth it. I think like the community would be so excited to see a new and like unseen before type of use case on Altair. And maybe it doesn't work 100% and something is probably going to break. But that's the whole point of that system, I think, is is really to push the boundaries of, of what we can do. 
and in the process do a lot of testing that's useful i think absolutely yeah the uh the tagline for kusama is expect chaos so yeah um, definitely that is is the place to try new and exciting things i want to touch on something else you just said about tin lake moving from or, or renaming from tin lake to pools and um being a part of the runtime of the blockchain. Yeah. I think um, the paradigm so far has been that a DAP is you know, some sort of smart contract that lives on top of a blockchain. But now we're moving into this paradigm where the DAPs are the blockchains themselves. They're, they're built into the runtime. And, and so how do you kind of uh, think about that? And also, will Altair and Centrifuge be smart contract platforms as well for other developers to build on top of, or will it mainly be uh, like built into the runtime? So I think you really nailed why we are making that name change. It really is because right now, you know, there's a special name for this DAP because it's actually a DAP that lives on Ethereum. And so we gave it its own name in Lake. But once it moves over to Centerfuse Chain and Altair, they're, they're just various pallets that are built directly into the runtime of both of those chains. And so it doesn't really make sense to call it its own name when it's just a part of the chain. And I think the future functionality on, on both Altair and Centrifuge chain is going to be natively built into the runtime as well. So I, do, I don't expect that we'll see you know, something like smart contract functionality on either of these chains. I think it's really going to be like custom pallets built out specifically for the purpose of, you know, allowing these assets on chain to access financing. Awesome. Um, while we're on the topic of, of naming as well, what is the the impetus for Centrifuge and Altair as, as the names for these projects? So Centrifuge came about when the founders started forming this this project. And the idea behind it was to really take apart the financial supply chain, all of the different elements of it, take out all the fluff and the inefficiencies and, and put it back together again. So this idea of this centrifuge that's really like spinning these different parts of the system together um, and, and taking out, you know, those parts that are really needed and putting them back together. That was like the idea for this, the name of Centrifuge. Um, and with Altair, we were really just riffing on that spinning concept. And Altair is the name of one of the fastest spinning stars in the galaxy. Um, and so it's, uh, yeah, taking that sort of concept and really like running with it in a totally different, maybe more experimental way. So yeah, that's where those two names came from. Very cool. Let's kind of um, zoom out a little bit and talk about more uh, ecosystem positioning. Um, there's been a lot of talk about the this concept of DeFi 2.0. Um, we've seen a lot of new projects doing, you know, mind bending things with <laughs> uh, with finance. And um, I'm just curious, what are your thoughts about that? How does Centrifuge kind of fit into that? Is is would you consider Centrifuge a part of quote unquote DeFi 2.0 and what does all that even mean? Just kind of an open-ended uh, question there. Yeah. I mean, I guess I even struggle to define what DeFi 2.0 really means. I would say that one thing that I've seen that I really don't like about DeFi is that it was all just kind of like eating your own tail, so to say, like 
all of it was just like crypto native building on crypto native things and sort of creating value out of nothing in a sense um and also creating value for, for almost no point really in many of those cases and i think where we do fit in is is trying to innovate i think you know even though a lot of that was for i think for for nothing in a lot of ways because you're creating this value and it's not really going anywhere but but you're innovating like you're you are proving that these systems can work and you're breaking things and you're pushing the boundaries and i think that's super important and i think we're we're definitely trying to have one foot in in that side of the ethos of the entire blockchain space i think to an extent um but the other foot is definitely firmly grounded in reality <laughs> for us and and what i mean by that is is really like trying to actually take out value from that system and give it to people and businesses that need it so we do definitely juggle both lines there where we're on the one hand trying to innovate trying to and push the outside of what the traditional finance system allows today um but at the same time you know we do use traditional legal frameworks you know KYC um but what that allows us to do is ultimately give real businesses real money um and be able to to build things that they want that they wouldn't otherwise be able to do and i think hopefully we're we're finding that right balance there to push for something better um but still make an impact today amazing um uh, i want to kind of bring things full circle as we as we start to wind down here we talked about centrifuge migrating into the pokaverse but still maintaining a presence on Ethereum and Altair being its own kind of ecosystem that will take on a life of its own, but all of these parts kind of fit together. And so what is the, what is the glue that sticks these together and how will like value transfer between them? Um, as I understand it, there's a, there's a bridge to Ethereum right now, right? But like, how do those all, all pieces talk together? I mean, I do think the Polkadot relay chain ultimately is is the strongest glue that's going to be across all of those ecosystems. And that's why Centrifuge wants to be a parachain on Polkadot is um, right now, for example, with the bridge, it's so hard to maintain that bridge to Ethereum ourselves. And it makes it really difficult to have integrations with other projects, um, even other chains like Celo, for example, the way that we were able to have a pool funded with Celo dollar is by Celo and us bridging to Ethereum. And that's really not scalable. And instead having the Polkadot relay chain with cross-chain functionality built into the core infrastructure, it makes it so much easier to integrate with projects like Akala, like Moonbeam, and then also for projects like Snowfork to come in and build a bridge to Ethereum that all of these different projects can use this one bridge to Ethereum and be able to really easily integrate with other projects in the Ethereum ecosystem and probably in the future, a lot more different chains. And I think ultimately the, the Polkadot relay chain for the Polkadot ecosystem and then also the Kusama relay chain will be you know, really strong glue that's able to provide that basic foundation for all of these different parachains and, and other blockchains um, to integrate with each other. Very cool. You mentioned that it was difficult for you guys to maintain the 
the bridge to Ethereum. I'm, I'm curious, like, what has the difficulty there been? Um, it is a lot of development effort to build a bridge. And it's also infrastructure, like overhead to run the nodes for the bridge to to build things like um, like warning systems or like notification systems, like all these little things that, you know, when you when you build out a blockchain with a very clear um, infrastructure and like this is the type of node to run and, and you build out a lot of tooling behind that. And it might not seem immediately obvious, but when, when you have a bridge, it's kind of like a, its own little mini chain in a sense. And there's a lot of tooling and work that goes into that that becomes overhead for us. And we'd rather just focus on building a really great product and focus on, you know, asset financing instead of focusing on running nodes ourselves or, or finding other projects that are interested in running nodes for this bridge and and figuring out what the warning system needs to look like. And, oh my gosh, the bridge went down and now we've got to like go through and find out where the bug is and all these different things that come with, with running that are things that we'd rather not have to focus on. And I think that's where having specialized parachains like Snowfork come in for me is, you know, this is a team that's really interested in doing that well and really just focusing on this one problem and getting it done. And all of these other parachains can also then just focus, focus on the functionality that they want to fix, whether it's stable coins or having a smart contract platform or, or privacy preserving functionality. I think all of these things are really huge problems in themselves. And it's great if a parachain can really just focus on that and do that well and leave something like running a bridge to, to someone who can focus on that too. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And um, now, now I see the value more of, of Snowfork and, and those dedicated bridges. So that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we've covered a lot of ground here. We've talked about a lot of aspects of your project. I'm wondering if you feel like we maybe missed anything or is there anything that you want to add to the conversation? Hmm. I would say um, maybe just a shout out to our community because I feel like that's really what makes what's brought us to where we are right now, like having really great ambassadors and asset originators and um, token holders that are really participating in the system. And I think for me, it's really exciting just to see, just to see the impact that we can make. And what I would say to any listeners that haven't checked out Centrifuge or Altair, like I would just encourage you to check out Tin Lake and see if it's something that maybe you wanted to start participating in. Mm-hmm. And and for folks that uh, that do want to do that, where can where can we find um, information? Like I know the the space is moving a mile a minute. Where where's the best way to plug in to get the latest updates of things that are coming out and where to get involved? I think latest updates probably our our Twitter accounts are great. Um, so we've got you know Centrifuge, the Centrifuge account, or Altair. Um, but you can also, for more in-depth information, check out the website. So that's centerfuge.io. And if you're interested in taking a look at um, the Tin Lake DAP, that's tinlake.centerfuge.io. Awesome. 
Well, Cassidy, it's been a pleasure. I learned so much and I very much enjoyed speaking with you. Unless there's anything else you want to leave the folks with, I think we'll we'll wrap it up here. Cool. Yeah. Thanks, Jordan. Um, thanks for the great conversation and, and really trying to get to the meat of what we're doing. I know it's a super complicated project, but yeah, maybe it really does take an hour to really nail down to the heart of what it is that we're trying to do. Yeah. And I'm sure we could have also like gone even longer, um, <laughs> but may- maybe that'll be um, uh, another episode in the near future. Uh, we can have you guys back as, as new developments emerge. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for coming on today. Yeah, thank you. And we're signing off. Take care, everybody. Thanks for joining us this week on Relay Chain. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the subjects we talked about today. So please reach out to us on Twitter at Relay Chain or by email podcast at parity.io. The team at Parity has some of the brightest minds working towards building a robust and inclusive ecosystem that puts power back into the hands of its community members. With cross-chain communication as a primary goal, we aim to break down the tribalistic barriers that have formed throughout the blockchain industry. If you want to learn more about what we're building, or if you want to join our team, visit our website at Parity.io and sign up for our newsletter at Parity.io slash newsletter. The content presented on Relay Chain is not financial or investment advice and should not be viewed as a recommendation to support any specific project. The views expressed are the personal opinions of the podcast guests and hosts and are not necessarily shared by Parity Technologies or Web3 Foundation, who do not endorse or guarantee the accuracy of the information provided.